Welcome to Affectively, a podcast mini-series exploring the intersection between self-organizing and emotions. Emotions. They are there all the time, everywhere, and yet we know so little about them. Self-organizing. What happens when we move from traditional power over to power with structures and cultures? Join me in these conversations with practitioners and researchers to better understand other possibilities of working and relating together. I hope you enjoy the Effectively mini-series hosted within The How, a podcast by Greater Than. Welcome to this new episode of the mini-series Affectively. And in this new episode, I have my colleague Tomomi Sasaki, who's going to be supporting with her knowledge and experience, getting a bit more practical, I think, in this episode. Let's see where we land. So Tomomi is a colleague of mine at Greater Than, um, Lots of experience, but I think that it's better if she, with you, Tomomi, introduce yourself with your own words, with something, yeah, we could learn about you, get to know about you. Yeah, thanks, Alicia. And thank you for inviting me to talk about Greater Than and also Emotions at Work, which is a group program, group, group coaching program that I run with my friend, Oriana Lavilla. Um, I'm a designer by trade, working mostly in digital contexts, and have been in client services most of my life, which means that I have done a lot of workshops and kind of built up my facilitation skills there. And then in that process, uh, what I found was that as the stakes grew higher and higher, it was really important to better understand the human dynamics of what was going on in the room um, and that's where I really started to pay more attention to things like yeah like like power and emotions and what what's really driving people not just you know whatever business or product thing that we were discussing in in the room um, and so a few years ago I got uh, my coach training and uh, yeah have been on that path since Um, and at Greater Than, where I've been for about three, almost three years, I think. Um, yeah, very happy to be a, an associate there and working on instrumentation for self-organization. Thank you for that uh, intro, Tomomi. You already reveals um, the reason why uh, we're having a conversation. <laughs> from I did. Tomi is always a great conversation partner, but uh, she's also running this program, Emotions um, at Work, and I would like to know more about it and your motivation about starting it, and I'm very curious about the things that you have learned. But before going there, you already mentioned something super interesting in your intro about as the stakes were getting higher and higher, it was more important to understand the human element. Can you say more about that? Yeah, in the high stakes workshop, I think there's a lot of emotions like fear and anger that are not expressed as such 
um, they come out in different ways. And if we're in the role of holding space for that conversation, we need to be able to see what's going on and adapt accordingly or, you know, be prepared or help people bring that out in a way that is not harmful to the rest or to, even to themselves um, and find ways to channel uh, this energy into something that's more productive. Um, yeah, and they don't teach you that in design. There's like not a posted exercise that you can do about that. Um, and so, yeah, that's really where like it was very clear to me the gap of um, what's needed as a facilitator. Um, but I think also if you're on the side of the one having those emotions, um, working on your ability to process them, like to recognize and process them and express them in ways that are conducive to what, like why you're there and why the group is there is a skill that mm, most of us are not taught actually at, at any point in, in life. Yeah, that, um, maybe I'm derailing a bit now, but uh, it reminds me we're um, having a workshop yesterday with uh, Medium. And one of the exercises that she proposed was the four levels of listening, of theory. Mm -hmm. And in the fourth one, and I think that that's a nice, uh, so I understand that this emotional work, that it was something you were doing so that you could be together with the group and support the group in achieving their goals. And I think that's um, that's a skill, I think, that is very needed in facilitation or especially maybe, I don't know, hosting in a way that you're not you know, just directing people to a very specific goal, but you're also allowing things to happen and you use that to get um, to the purpose, um, to the, let's say, overarching goal of the, of the workshop. Um, and I think, I don't know, it just made me think that it's very similar to this fourth um, layer of listening in theory, you, in which you're very open to whatever comes and you're you're aware of your triggers and you're aware of the emotions that uh, you're dealing with and you have to work with that in order to be able to move forward in the in the situation and express it or not in a way in the other and yeah and and I always I don't I always like to say that that it takes a lot how is it I think I usually say hosting has a lot to do with you so that it has the least to do with you possible. Mm -hmm. you know? It's like <laughs> yes. that you really have, and sometimes if it works well, people think, oh, nothing happened, right? Or that nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Like we did the workshop and it's like, oh, the facilitator, she was there, but it was not, you know, this presence that some facilitators have that's like um, very intense. But I think that's when the magic happens and the group is flowing and you're able to intervene in the moments that are necessary and they take so much um, emotional uh, work. I mean, after some sessions, I'm actually uh, quite, quite exhausted. And the reason I'm saying this is that I think this is a basic skill for self-organizing. Mm -hmm. What do you think? <laughs> I love that you use the word magic because uh, I gave examples of emotions like anger and, and frustration and fear, uh, but it's also joy and excitement and like just the different energies that are in the room, and we can capitalize on these. Like we, these are the ones that we want to amplify. Um, and when it 
it's working well. It is. It is like magic. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and <laughs> I think when I real first realized this, and this was quite some while ago, and I realized this was like the the capability gap. I think I really resented it because it meant it means like you have to work on yourself, and I'm like that is what I need to do <laughs> to become a better facilitator. Um, yeah, and like I was just not really willing to do that in that moment. Um, but yeah, at some point I got over it and thought that is the needed step, not just professionally, but also um, personally. Like it'll change the way that I show up in my relationships, like in any aspect of life. Um, and if that's not worth doing that for, then then what is? Um, and so, yeah, to your point, to connect it to self-organizing. And as we both know, there's so much per- personal development involved in being able to thrive in these environments. Um, I think that's where the, like, it really meshes well together. Like, you have to be willing to do this kind of work. Um, or you're not going to get very far, I think, in self-organized environments. Yeah, I think that it's um, maybe you have a I'm like a more um, elaborate way of of saying this, but once you're in an environment that is self-organized, and we say, okay, we change the power dynamics from power over to power with, it opens up to a new way of being that we haven't really been taught. That maybe we're lucky we have in some very specific relationships in our life, but maybe we don't, and that this requires. Yeah, a lot of, I think, emotional maturity for it to work um, properly and be able to put the topics on the table. And also, I think there's something about once you're in a hierarchical relationship um, that, you know, there's someone, let's say, feedbacking you or, you know, like orienting a little bit towards how we want to be and all of that. And when you're in this self-organized setting, and I did this, but I don't mean completely horizontal, uh, <laughs> It's more like that. It's more like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that it's, yeah, and what grounds do you do that? And how do you do that? And is it you or is it the other one? So there's a lot of, yeah, thinking um, that, that goes into that or, or feeling um, as well. But yeah, let's, um, let's go first uh, to emotions at work. Uh, that's the reason mm-hmm. why I asked you to do this interview because I think that, well, I'm doing academic research, so it's very abstract. I'm looking for ways of landing it a little bit, but you're already doing something that is practice-based. And I wanted to yeah, ask you, what is it that you're doing? But let's maybe start from the beginning, why you um, started it. So you have given some hints, but I'm sure there are more um, elements to the story. Why did you start Emotions at Work? What do you want to achieve with it? And if you can give us a bit of a flavor, what is that you're doing there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. And it's been fascinating for you to think that what I'm doing is practice and then what you're doing is more theoretical. I think I'm so much in the practice that uh, uh, it's been interesting to think, like try to understand what is it that you see. Um, and I'm really enjoying the process of trying to find the links between our work, of which there are a lot. I just, but we use different language and activities. Um, and so, yeah, it's like kind of finding where the crossroads are. Um, 
Emotions at Work started as a curiosity of what happens, like what's possible when we have access to spaces where we're in conversation about the emotions at work. Emotions at work in an active way and then in the workplace, uh, because that's our, our primary interest. Like, of course, we have emotions in all aspects of life, um, but the workplace is where it seems to be like very underdeveloped. Um, and so that's that's our that's our focus. And so, yeah, it's a small group that gets together uh, every other week for five sessions and each session we have a theme, and we usually choose depending on uh, what the group is interested in, but typically around topics like trust, saying no, difficult conversations, um, confidence, declaring your intentions, coordinating how to coordinate work by making requests. Um, and we offer like a little bit of theory and then have a lot of activities that help uh, everybody better understand the concept related to what they're going through and then using the work experiences that we've had and also are currently facing as material um, to look at it from a different perspective. And um, what we want to achieve is for more professionals, I think especially managers and leaders, to have access to this kind of learning. Um, and I think it can only happen in group environments. We have to interact with other humans, um, but it doesn't necessarily need to be with your colleague per se. It can be with a fellow professional where you have no relationship other than this mutual commitment to learn together. And by being like practicing how to have conversations around these topics and better name your emotions and to identify like how they're coming up and like how it's affecting your behavior um, we learn to see ourselves differently and then learn to see others differently and so maybe somebody in the group um, based on say a role-playing activity it offers you a perspective that you've just never thought about before in relation to a colleague that maybe you don't get along with or um, yeah, usually it's it's more of these difficult cases. Um, and that insight, like that new perspective helps you recognize that you have way more choice than you realize. I think that's the feedback or like what I hear from the people who go through the program is something they realize. And that is fascinating. I think you mentioned to me a few weeks ago that this kind of thing, like once people try it, it's very obvious the value and like why it's important because we all have emotions and we know like intuitively how they affect us. And yet somehow there's this gap, usually more like intellectual gap of why we don't tend to them. We push them aside. We reject them. Mm, we pretend they don't exist or we're like no it's work so it should be like this um and yet we are so emotionally invested in our work but we don't really do much 
with that emotion. It's like just getting put into the work. Um, and so, yeah, uh, coming back to emotions at work, the, the converse, that, that group space is a way to process what it is we're seeing um, and then practice different ways that maybe we, we want to behave differently um, to have a better chance of achieving the result that, that you want. Cool. Thank you for that overview. This goes very much in coherence that what you said about doing this in group environments. Uh, in the previous episode, I was with two people from um, a Deep Adaptation Forum, and they had mm -hmm. a decolonizing um, circle practice. And they were saying, you know, it's peeling onions. And that's actually how you learn in this setting. Mm -hmm more the actual or more true way of learning especially in power with environments in which yeah someone is maybe giving you a little bit of input to understand something better or differently it's an impulse that you get but mm -hmm. then peeling the onion and doing that work with yourself with others and yeah i think that's a, the beauty of of the group it's things that you can reflect on your own but there are levels that you can only reach with mm. others Hearing their contacts, examples, and that's just so so valuable. Also, to know that you're not alone, <laughs> feeling yes. all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I appreciate this uh, peeling metaphor. One thing that drives me in my coaching practice, after having thought about it, like being asked, like, "Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this?" It's that I want us like whoever wants to be on this journey to be able to hear the signals like from within. Mm -hmm. I think we're so social and I say we, but like, of course it's me, right? Like <laughs> most of us doing this thing is like, it's something you're trying to change about yourself. And along that way, um, we, we find others to be on that journey with. Um, but yeah, like, as a Japanese female, I'm, I'm very socially conditioned to dampen how I'm feeling and also have a over like heightened sense of what other people are thinking. Um, and so that signal is so strong and like my ability to catch it is, is so strong that the balance then with what's happening in me is, is much harder to grasp. Like the, the signal is so weak, um, and to me, there's the the learning process is really being able to kind of detect and actually listen to it, mm -hmm. and also take it seriously. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's really where the the peeling happens, mm -hmm. the the layers that we're trying to kind of get below. Yeah, there's so much of it, and. I don't know. I always get emotional thinking about it, like so much social conditioning around asthma being able to connect, or as you're saying, that, you know, yeah, it's my emotions. Oh, they're not important. You know, you're attuned mm -hmm. to everyone else's. And at the end, you don't even know, okay, what's the signal anymore, or you hear it, but, you know, just ignore it for a while longer. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, that's something that I keep learning again and again in this program, as well as. Like how unskilled we are at recognizing the emotions that we're feeling. 
like we recognize the expressions of it, um, but maybe only a couple. Yeah. And the, there's there's so much power in being able to differentiate between different emotions because then you really understand what's driving it, like what's what's the impulse. Can you say more um, about that? So is it understanding the emotion lets you understand better the situation or why you're feeling that and what needs to happen after or doing something else? Yeah. Um, like each emotion is when you feel it, it is a it's a data point about something that is like it's a reaction in relation to your values, right? And so, like if we're angry at something, it's because we feel there's injustice in the world, and so then we can look at like what what is it that I'm feeling that that injustice towards. Mm-hmm. And then, then you can like building upon that actually gives us this this propelling energy that can be really like beautiful and powerful. Um, but if we're taught that anger is not is something that needs to be pressed down or not expressed, and we don't take that moment to try to dig into what's behind that, like we lose that. And then it just lives in our body and it just stays there. <laughs> it doesn't get processed. Um, yeah, so that's that's one example. Um, one thing that Oriana and I try to do ourselves as well is, you know, put our own, put the things that we're trying to convey into the practice as we build the program. Because, it's, yeah, it's still uh, about two years, like quite early days, I would say. Um, and one thing we did a few months ago was ask ourselves, you know, we had like a blue sky session of what we wanted emotions at work to become. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had a list of goals and such like you do, right? There's a Google Doc and there's a list. <laughs> and um, but we said, wait, wait a minute. Um, like, let's use emotions as, you know, the, the modality to think about this. Um, and then identified how, like, what is the emotion we want to be feeling when we are doing this work? Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the things we chose were like, like bold. That's not an emotion that's very accessible to me. Um, like often I am confident, but not particularly bold. I am more careful. Um, like I can be very timid. Um, and so by being very specific about these emotions, these words, and talking about them, the difference, I want to feel joyful, I want to feel proud, um, that just puts so much color into the way that we think about what we're doing, right? Because the goal is not, you know, some numerical figure or some fame or whatever. Um, like, that's not we can you know make up some goal like that but yeah that's not going to be like why i get up in the morning and do that instead of something else um but by connecting to the emotion that we wanted to feel and maybe what is it we're feeling now and like what's blocking and just putting that in the center of 
the discussion just opened up so many ideas. Um, and like, I could just feel, you know, the, the body and the mind opening up to, to different ideas in a way that feels really generative and creative. And it feels like tapping, like being able to tap into that is like just the beginning of what's possible. Yeah, I love that. And what a great question. I will put it on a post-it. And <laughs> what are the emotions we want to be feeling while doing this work? This is such a good question. So important yeah, for even like health and self-care. And um, yeah, that we often think about, you know, the amount of hours we want to work. Mm -hmm. Right. Projects we want to do. Um, and it's true. I, I know I have stopped working with certain clients because it, it didn't feel good but it's like i never asked myself you know what are the emotions i want to feel that you want to feel yeah we're very clear about the ones we don't want to feel yeah yeah oh, that's great <laughs> yeah and then like i think there are only so many emotions that are present for us in terms of words right like we like we all say we want to be happy we want to be excited mm -hmm. um but if i say i want to feel joy joyful um or if i want to feel proud or like ecstatic it's, it's like oh that's different mm. like what is that difference because in that gap between those you know those different emotions of course there's an overlap um but there's so much nuance there and that richness i think is where actually there's that like that's the potential that's that's untapped mm. yeah and talking about potential in this connection you were talking about uh, mind and and body uh, i wanted to go to the framing that you use um in emotions at work if i'm not wrong you use these three circles that interconnect and one is body one is emotion and one is language uh, can you talk a bit mm -hmm. about that model and how you use it and how you see the intersection and again this feeling of what's possible if you work in that in that industry yeah um yeah this is called the the bell model and is the foundational model of the new field network which is where oriana and i trained um it's an ontological model so it's like kind of identifying how you want to see the world or in this case yourself and other people um and saying that these three are equally important um and in kind of our modern world, I guess, the, the language piece tends to get the most attention. Uh, the body piece, I think, is slowly becoming mainstream. Um, I think in our circles, that's something that we should pay attention to and is also this, like, untapped, of, like, how we're not floating heads above our bodies, right? Um, yeah, this is also the unlearning that most of us are, are, are going through and learning how to, like, what does it actually mean to be embodied? Um, yeah, so, so that's one, uh, not just in terms of sensing, but also shaping. And so we can put our body in different dispositions that will make it more likely that there's a certain, you know, posture and energy that we're, that we take when going into something. Mm, also, learning how to better tune 
our bodies so that it's more straightforward to stay grounded or to sense what's going on. Yeah, so so that's body and then yeah, emotions is the is the third and is in a way most difficult for a lot of us. It certainly is for for me. Um that's why it seemed the most kind of worthy to to pursue. Um and in in the bell model the way Newfield teaches it, it's the coherence between these three things that allows us to to act differently, which is then what gets us the results that we want. Mm. Imagine sometimes like you see somebody saying something, or even ourselves, we say something, but if it's not embodied, like you can tell they don't really mean it. Like people can tell, I think. Like we're very sensitive that way. And that's because the body is in play, kind of spider senses. Like, yeah, you're saying all the right things, but I don't believe you. Um, but yeah, when these three, you know, cir- circles all work in coherence, that's really where the like that 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 sense of solidness, that that weight, it's like we can go about our work in a different way like we're more present we show up in a way where people respond more than when you sense that kind of it's like you're not sure where they're coming from i think is the sense that i tend to get when somebody is maybe lacking that coherence in something they're doing that they don't really believe in yeah i think that's um one of the pieces, um, let's say, where our um, work intersects, that this is, let's say, a model that you can practice. And what mm-hmm. I have looked at as a part of, let's say, the theoretical theoretical framework, which is sounds super obvious again, but it's like we don't do any of that. So the whole organizational theory is based on us being floating heads. Mm-hmm. And in a way, and how important it is, or there's a lot of feminist uh, theory, um, just explaining that, you know, it's very important that take into account our bodies, because the consequences that it has is that, um, well, if not, yeah, what happens is that we take for granted that there is a sort of standard Mm -hmm. body, and of course, it's a male body, it's a white body, it's a, like, maximum middle age, uh, middle class, all of that. Um, and by acknowledging that we have bodies, then we can change that and mm-hmm. we can act also in a different way. And as you say, I, I find that very interesting that although there are all of these, let's say we have this societal buildup that we have, people are still very sensitive to these things. Like we have kept, I don't know if it's a lot because I don't know what was there before, but mm-hmm. there's still... Mm-hmm sensing um capabilities that are there to you know feel this coherence or incoherence or ask something something's off um so it's still in a way uh very present or you can be very present if we work on it but it's difficult in systems that keep reminding us or keep mm-hmm. telling you know, you're a floating head no, you're a floating head right and if we do anything is sort of very controlled I don't want to criticize mindfulness, but, you know, if the, that's the only thing that you do um, and, you know, and feeling your body and all that or, or just introducing mindfulness and yoga in the organization, you're not changing anything else. <laughs> right. 
right? I mean, there's only so much that you can do. You're still getting reminded indirectly that you're a floating head. Um, so yeah, I do find that uh, intersection um, yeah, very interesting and something to apply as much as possible in, in our work as well as we can mm -hmm. organizations that, yes, you know, we talk, uh, but again, um, there's a lot more. Mm. Yeah, this is something I find really beautiful being part of Greater Than and having more exposure to others like self-organizing context is that there are people, many people there who have been practicing that a lot longer than you. I mean, it's it's relative, but when somebody is showing up in this different way, I it's been my experience that it kind of pulls that behavior out of myself as well. Because they're different, I'm different. Um, and somehow in this self-organized context, there's a concentration of that. So it's more likely that more of us will show up in that way. Um, and so I find myself saying things and having different ideas because other people are more like that. And then if I'm with other people who are, you know, maybe not like that, like I'm also less likely to be like that. I think the practice is then I try to, you know, be the person who shows up differently. Um, and so like all that, that ripple effect that that's happening um, is, is fascinating. And like that, that, that's so valuable. It's not, you read it in a book about how to design organizations and it's different or you come up with some, you know, almighty framework, and suddenly everyone's convinced of this and that. And mm -hmm. yeah, so that's uh, where I see, I think, the, the overlap with, with your research and then the, the you know, the, the group and intentional practices that, that we have in common. I think that uh, maybe that's the point um, about this intersection and the coherence with it and this different way of, of showing up, which is, it's still, I find it very difficult to pin down, like, mm -hmm. how is it? Like, how can you yeah. describe that? No, it's like when you see it and you live it, then you recognize it. Right. And as you say, <laughs> someone, it awakens it up in mm -hmm. you. Right? Mm -hmm. But I find it very difficult to. Um, oh, describe. totally. Like, I wouldn't know how to do that. I'm not asking you to do it. If you, if you have find a way, great. <laughs> Don't worry. It's not the tricky question. Uh what I was wondering was more, I'm very interested in these things that we as a society or in organizations, and um, I'm aware I'm the one who's like, bring the, the abstract level all the, all the time and actually want to go to uh, practice. But I think that's quite important because when we go into practice, um, then we take methodologies that we have seen or mm -hmm. things that are in the surface. And now, for example, I'm talking about, and although um, I do love the framework, but I have seen in NGOs specifically or other like big organizations, right? You, it's easier for them to say, oh, we implement a framework or a methodology and then, you know, people just show up in this way or they talk in this way. So for example, it would be a nonviolent communication, which I have found that, you know, it's a sort of, I would assume it's a sort of language, like a, mm -hmm. a language used to communicate with each other. And there's theoretically a big um, reflection part that needs to happen for you in mm -hmm. order to engage in nonviolent communication. 
But what I have found is when people apply just the methodology, you know, without really doing the work, it's like the it's just such a toxic. So before I was trying to understand <laughs> what is it, what do we have to change, like what is this happening? And now when I see something like this, is a just run, you know, like you don't want to be there. Um, but yeah, this makes me think, um, the conversation we were having again about these, yes, you can use one of these, let's say layers or, Mm. or circle, but you know, there's, there's a coherence needed in all of them. I guess there's something overarching that maybe is the intention that you have and with what purpose you do things, but you cannot just take one and pretend that it's going to, to work. I don't want to say anything yeah. about if, if only it were that easy, right? <laughs> yeah. People always find a way. Yeah, I, I'm not super familiar or have been like up, up close to groups that practice nonviolent communication. But what I always think is that, um, mm, yes, it's the coherence. And then maybe maybe like my cultural background, which is like you listen for what's not being said. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of um, like communication-based methodologies about what you is about what you say mm-hmm. and how to say it, um, which is great. But also, like, what is your relationship to that person? What are they not saying? Why did they say it in this moment and not that moment? Like, who else was in the room? Um, these are factors. Like, that's kind of my social conditioning, right? Like, in Japan, it's like almost a survival skill to know how to read the room, like, to read between the lines. Um, and so when we talk about being able to express your needs, which is usually your 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 needs as an individual, um, it's a bit where I struggle a little bit in fully accepting this because uh, I don't really fully understand like what about the needs of the group and what about the needs that are not being expressed not. So much because that person is not able to, but because it maybe it shouldn't need to be expressed. I don't know. Um, but like, there's like just so much outside of kind of the the word based protocols on how to express and how to receive the words that I feel is where the challenges are, and when these um, methodologies don't work. It's kind of like the rest of the stuff that that's not being tended to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what what's not being said, and also yeah, the the relationships, and I think also things like the identity of the group can't just cram a methodology if that's not the reason the group is there. Um, there are also things like life stage. And whoever is the core, or like most active or the most powerful within the group, there's also where they are in their life. And maybe that's just not what they want to be doing at that moment, if, even if they think they should. Um, and so, I, mean, I don't know. 
it's like we're very good at fooling ourselves into thinking we should be in a certain way um and i think that's where it gets tripped up and being very specific then on the protocols doesn't really help with that yeah that's uh super interesting um because in the research i have a look at what is called feeling rules mm-hmm. so theoretically how you're supposed to show up mm-hmm. in an organizational setting and that's where maybe i i would really like to see how um yeah, to understand how you see it, because I'm having a look at self-organizing, um, or let's say effect within self-organizing, because mm-hmm. self-organizing is a place that has a very different set of power dynamics in its design. And so it allows, theoretically, for many different things, emotional expressions and, and all mm-hmm. of that. Actually, mm-hmm. or if I'm not mistaken, you work also with people that work in hierarchical organizations, big or small, whatever. But um, so the thing that filling rules says is that, um, well, there are these ways of expressing that are accepted and also mm-hmm. they are biased um, by Western culture. So usually we expect people to show up um, in a calm way, mm-hmm. in a friendly way or comradery with with colleagues um and of course this comes from again this prototype or like this understanding of um the standard of being a man middle age middle class and everyone else who doesn't fit in here might not be represented uh, or might will definitely not be represented of course Mm. Um, and then of course that anger for example can be shown in certain contexts but Mm -hmm. especially if you're a man and if you're not then well you have you know the hysterical woman or the whatever other let's say um yeah ways of naming that we have um for for that so i'm wondering what is it that you or how you see the potential of emotions at work in let's say power over even if they are collaborative but at the end of the day there's a there's a hierarchy um context in which we know from the research that these feeling rules exist in one way or the other like maybe it's more mm-hmm. strong maybe it's stronger maybe it's it's weaker but they are there in a way there are certain expectations exactly it was the word i was looking for expectation mm-hmm. how is it that uh, you're going to be expressing yourself relating with colleagues and all that yeah, I don't really differentiate between self-organized or not. Um, and the emotional piece to build, it's your skill no matter where you go. Um, and the way I see different types of organizations or different environments it is mostly cultural and so you know i could go to a self-organized place but i could go to another like a different self-organized entity and i would still have like there would still be that learning curve in terms of what's expected or not um and so yeah to me kind of there's not really two camps there's just different ways of organizing and as a newcomer 
there is the work of observing how that system operates and how you want to position yourself and kind of interact with people. Mm. I think there's a skill in you showing up in specific ways and there's a skill in understanding how people perceive you. Like it matters who you are, but it also matters what people think you are. And what I've found is that this is a given in more conventional organizations because you're hired for specific roles. Like people think you're that or they see your attributes like gender or whatever. And like they just kind of assume that you're that. And it's just kind of already there. Whereas in self-organized context, I think the assumption is that that's kind of more flat and that you know how to like express yourself in a way that is not particularly tied to any of these things, but we don't always know. But I don't, I'm not sure if this is making any sense. Um, mm-hmm. But I find that in self-organized context, the role, like I find the people who struggle in self-organized contexts are not are kind of missing that part thinking about how the system is reacting to them or how, how you're being perceived within the system which is something you in a conventional organization you th- you just naturally think of because it's more of this this machine because there's a position or role that is already has attributes of that what right. you're um, to be yeah yeah there's a certain expectation yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so that's 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 kind of interesting i feel like i did not answer your question though which was potential of emotions at work for self-organized context i think it's the, the same as in any context this is more of a human skill that i would like society to cultivate yeah yeah i think that I mean, that's that's a level or layer I hadn't thought about because I'm having more a look at maybe the sociological aspect um, of it. So when you're in, you're in the group, like, what is it, what is allowed and what's not allowed? Mm-hmm. And for example, I'm yeah, not yet at least not having a look at identity, but of course that has also an, an impact on how your identity develops and, 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 and all of that. So, yeah, so I guess I was wondering how you see that so um, emotions at work being applied in settings in which there is maybe a prettier or less prettier um, box but that's like the expectations that people have of you how you're going to express yourself that's as you were saying like or I understood you were saying much more defined Mm -hmm. than if you are in a self-organized setting and you're saying ah it's a apart from the setting itself it's a skill that people have, and of course, that's useful um, anyway. So that does yeah. Uh, yeah. people have and can be developed. I think yeah. this is what's interesting, and maybe something we and I mean, like very generally, us working in these spaces are not communicating or articulating enough. Is that this can be developed? Mm. We also have to practice it, or it kind of, you know, goes down. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's not like we do something once and then you have it for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. You kind of have to keep working on it. 
and that it's worth it. I think this is another like a, a learning from uh, do, doing the the program. Um, it's something that I've heard from our clients is it's like you know in your head that showing up differently, like being authentic and vulnerable, like is kind of what you're supposed to do. Mm, and then throughout the experience of doing that, because that's what the group is for, you're reminded over and over again, like that it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So being in the group itself, you're reminded that it's worth it. Mm-hmm. I think we all know in theory that it's worth it, but somehow it doesn't compute to the level of like, this is something I'm going to commit to. Like, this is the thing that might change, you know, something for me professionally. It's like, we know it, but it's, it's not fully clicking. Um, like, and one of our challenges is to like find the, the words to, convey that um and i feel i'm quite far from that um <laughs> fortunately but like that's that i do see as the challenge um because as you were saying earlier the the ideas like are not that complicated like it feels really basic and yet we don't do them um so it's like what what is that all about I, I was writing down, okay, what are the learnings that are coming up uh, during our discussion from the, the program of Emotions at Work? And I have written down that on the one hand, there is this new perspective that it gives you, or it gives people that um, are in the program, have gone through the process, it gives them more choice, sense that they have more um, options. Um, then you said uh, recently that there is a shared so being together and doing this work and reflecting together, it gives people, um, I, I guess it's like a, um, a encouragement in a way, understanding that showing up differently mm. is worth mm. it. Like mm-hmm. we know it, yeah. Uh, but doing a process with peers, it helps you uh, bring forth that, and probably then keep keep doing that. Um, Exactly. And then you were saying something, I think, also as a, as a learning, I understand, would be this um, coherence between mm-hmm. the three levels, so language, body, and, and emotions. Is there anything else that, well, maybe you have mentioned and I have um, not uh, recorded it, or anything that you say, oh, well, you know, this, this has been a learning by running the program, something that you have experienced or the participants have? One thing I learn over and over and again is how powerful this all is. It's it's uh, quite fascinating to me. Like it's astounding to me that this is the lesson that I keep learning, you know, with with the group, and um, it really blows my mind of how how powerful it is and i think i also need this reminder right like that it's worth it like this is the thing to work on and i yeah so of like all of the you know different projects and activities that i have i think this stream is yielding the most growth for me um and and is teaching me so much 
And if you would have said that to me a few years ago, that there would be emotions, I would have been like, what? (laughs) What? That doesn't make any sense. What about the framework? Yeah. I can't. Um, But yeah, it's it's, it's really um, putting some attention and kind of the decision for yourself to invest in a topic like emotions, especially in, in the workplace, right? Like not for for um, like your romantic relationships. That's very easy to understand. But like to decide to tackle emotional aspects of your kind of professional realm. Um, yeah, just how big that potential is. And then also how it doesn't take a lot to learn how to act differently um is is pretty astounding to me and i think it's because like we are doing it with our like our our bodies and like you kind of instinctively be like oh yeah that's gonna work for me or oh i hadn't thought of it that way and just kind of take it into your next day um one thing somebody said to me after the program was finished is like i feel like i've only scratched the surface this is just the beginning which you know on on one side as the one kind of hosting the program I'm like well I was kind of (laughs) hoping it would be a little bit more than that and at the same time like that's just my ego right it like it is just the the surface and the fact that they are seeing it as a journey that they will go on and I may be a part of it or I may not be part of you know you know the future steps um is already like a huge shift, I think, in the way that they see this this aspect. And like that's that's a win. Like to me that is the value. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a sentence you just said, like it doesn't take a lot to do mm-hmm. things. What does it take though? What does it take? Well, when I say it doesn't take a lot, I think I mean to experiment with something differently in an interaction, either with somebody or the way that you process whatever happened to you. Um, so it it takes that thought and. Like actually doing it, which doesn't necessarily need to take a lot of time. Um, it also takes, I think, the mm, the commitment to finish that loop. So you try something, but you have to think about what happened afterwards so that you can carry it on or not. I think just trying things doesn't really work or it doesn't have the impact that it that it could. Um, and I think we are so busy. Things are so intertwined. Things are happening all the time. Um, and we don't always kind of bother to close these loops. And there's, it's, and it's just like pure, pure chaos and we kind of forget. Um, and I, so yeah, that rigor, I guess, like that, that mindset is, is what it takes. Mm-hmm. Which sounds so simple, no? When I say it, yeah, it sounds very easy. It sounds very easy all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe maybe it's like losing weight, you know, it's like, oh, if I don't eat that cookie. And pretty impressive, yeah, how much changes um, need uh, from, from us. I wanted to go um, to emotional processing briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to go there uh, with me? You talk about it in one of your sessions, I think, in Emotions mm-hmm. of Work. And there's this, let's say, process that you name, notice, name, pause, and decide. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what is emotional processing and what are the steps? Yeah, well, first I want to share why I'm interested in this, because it is from a shared experience I have with you. Um with greater than we was it last month yeah it's been a month now where we had our annual gathering um so almost 20 people in one place for about a week um wanting to do lots of things we're also living together cooking together cleaning together like there's just a lot going on um and one of the reflections is like there was not enough time for processing like speaking of that that loop right it's like the thing is launched but we're not like going like picking it up. So it's just like lots of things are being launched. Um and then yeah, nothing really goes away. So it just accumulates. I think that was our experience at the at the gathering. Um and we are all frantically trying to find our own ways of processing. Um in small groups, taking time to yourself. I know a lot of us were having like really vivid dreams. And so it's like clearly the body is trying to process. Um, yeah, and that really started getting me thinking, what kind of mechanisms do we have for processing the emotions that we have at work? Um, do they really exist in organizational cultures outside of, say, uh, like a retrospective? Um, I think a lot of it happens during drinks or lunches, um, which being remote nowadays, like this thing is like it's not happening. Um and so yeah, I have this kind of visual in my head of all of that just accumulating and then getting so heavy because we carry it around. Um yeah, and so getting into the practice then of creating space for ourselves to process so naming, which requires, you know, a bit of time to think about it, finding the right words. Um, pausing so that we can kind of take some space between what happened and deciding what we want to do about it. Mm, yeah, there are different theories of how that works, but I think in general, like that's kind of the general process of um, how it's understand uh, how it's understood to work, and then yeah, that, that's my exploration at the moment. It's like, how do we not forget to do that, um, and do it in ways that things are getting processed regularly? Because it does take time, and our inclination often is to go, go, go. And so, yeah, how does that happen in the workplace? I do not know at the moment. What is your angle? 
And I understand that these steps that I named at the beginning are this reflection process. So first you're not noticing. So you take a pause so that you even can start thinking about it. You notice that you try to name it the best mm-hmm. way you can. And then, well, you decide what you do with that in a way, in, mm-hmm. a, in a conscious way and not just like doing, doing, doing. And then, well, you decided without even realizing that you were yeah. me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's very interesting because there's another overlap there with, um, I keep uh, bringing up his name because uh, he wrote one of the main papers that I base my research on. It's a researcher called uh, Bernhard uh, Resch, mm-hmm. and he wrote about affective oscillations. And his research is based on the Inspiral network, which is mm-hmm. like one of the modern networks of, of Greater Than. So we have mm-hmm. quite a bit of that. And um, and he was talking, or he describes these um, new collaborative spaces as places of emotional exuberance. So there's a lot of emotions going on uh, in them. And the oscillations have to do with um, extremes. So I don't, I don't remember exactly now the extremes, but let's say that you go from trust in one and then the pendulum goes to exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And the reflection is that you cannot or well you should not try to avoid going to any of the extremes even if you don't like that much being one of them um it's important and well it's it's an emotional well in his, in this case it's an affective dynamic so it happens in in a group of people so it's not really especially if it's sovereign you cannot really control it you can observe it mm-hmm. and his reflection was you know it's important to take a pause and then reflect on, okay, where are we in the pendulum? What's, what's going on right now? What is it that we need so that, you know, we don't get, get stuck maybe in potential uh, burnout mm. um, ways of doing, but that we can pendulate back and go back to a place of trust or joy or, or whatever it is. So that's, um, I was interested in the emotional processing because it seems to be one of the things that um, once you open up and let emotions flow, they will happen, they will um, develop, and then, um, yeah, you can, it's, it's a bit, it's an emergent process, in a way, and I think the magic of self-organizing is, is letting that emergent space, and seeing what happens, and what that takes you, and it's about not controlling, but there's about this reflection, and I think there's a lot of power in there, of, ah, no, we're, we're here, what do we do with this, so that's where I mm. see uh, parallel with what you're saying yeah i think it's emergent and because organizations have cycles some things can be ritualistic Mm -hmm. um and actually it's reminding me that um actually i do have some ideas of how processing happens like it's encoded in uh yeah some of yeah, rituals that cultures have developed over time. Um, so in Japanese business culture, you, you might know that like there's this idea of drinking parties, right? <laughs> you kind of have to go um, and get drunk, but not too drunk. Um, but one like there's a specific type of drinking party called the uchiage. And that happens after the project is finished. Um, everybody who is part of the project goes, I mean, typically it's a drinking party, so it's kind of dinner and a couple of hours of drinking. Uh, but this is the moment where you vent 
you tell you say everything that you were not saying up until that point. Um, you can say it to your boss or like to your client in a respectful manner. But this is the place where you are kind of allowed to air your grievances, but also build that camaraderie. Um, and you celebrate that it's finished. And after you have this, which you are not allowed to complain about the project anymore. Like it's finished. <laughs> it's finished. Like you have that moment, like it's kind of comes out of your system, right? And so now that I think about it, you could say that it is a process, this mechanism for processing. Um, we get caught up in like how obligatory it is. Like, oh, you have to go drinking with your boss. Um, but that's actually the, the the functional need that it's serving, which is to allow for the group to process what they have experienced um, in a way that allows the group to recognize the effort, which was probably a lot of effort. Um, and also, like, then you go on to the next thing. And, um, yeah, when I first moved to Europe, like, this culture does not, like, this specific drinking party does not exist here. Um, and, like, I really missed it. I also, like, cannot stand when people keep complaining about a project, you know, because for me, it's done. Like, it's done. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wonder if uh, self-organized environments, um, we're actually not benefiting from um, the, the, these kind of rituals that uh, these, uh, like, older organizations, like, older types of organizations have established over the years, like, for a reason. Um, and, like, how can we take the good parts of that? Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah, there's there's something to be learned from that because it cannot be emergent all the time. It just cannot. Yeah, yeah this is so interesting um, because I had, so there are, let's say, um, in the theory that I've researched, they talk a lot about um, outlets of emotional expression. So it's look; these moments are looked at in a critical way because mm -hmm. you're not allowed to go out of the feeling rules that say, except for, well, drinking parties or, I don't know, creativity breakfasts or afterward drinks, mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. of those. And there you're expected to have also a certain type of behavior and, right. and emotions. But I hadn't thought about the, let's say, positive light of it which is mm -hmm. emotion, uh, well mechanisms um, to process emotions that you have at work and well you don't have the space uh, for that till you get to that moment so yeah that's a very interesting perspective um, of looking at these and what is it that we can learn we have a lot of our little rituals but being all over the world we have mm -hmm. too little of it in order to be able to process especially when we're in person once a year altogether mm -hmm. scenario yeah and i think it makes us very reactive um and then when there's a need for processing it's very difficult to be like oh let's pause and reflect even though we all know it's what we should do um it's, it's very hard and i think yeah this is the power of of rituals i want to give one more example um from uh japanese culture which I'm trying to, I feel like I have access to so much wisdom that 
but it's not linked to kind of my day-to-day, especially in, in work. Um, so yeah, this is not a, a business ritual. It's related to uh, funerals. Um, but there, in, in Japan, there's a timing after the death of when the relatives are supposed to gather. And it's not every year. Like in the early years, it's like first year, second year, third year. But then after a while, you kind of can't be doing it every year, right? Or we would be doing this all the time for everyone that's died. But you also don't want to think about, oh, should we gather this year? And so like there's a jump. The next timing is the seventh year. And I I don't remember when the next one was, but it's been designed so that um, in the early years, you do get together more frequently, but then you're kind of allowed to not have to gather so that when you do gather for the seventh year, it's more meaningful. And also there's no like negotiation involved. And I think this is the beauty of the ritual is like, you know, it's the seventh year. Everybody makes the effort to be there. And like on the sixth year, you don't have to think like who's going to, you know, organize the party. Like it's already designed. Um, And I think there are yeah a lot of things, you know, this is just an example from my culture. um, But I think the beauty of them being an international organization is like we can learn from many, many of our our cultures and kind of start to bring that into the way that we organize ourselves. Um, and I think there's a lot of creativity and yeah, just that wisdom that maybe we haven't tapped into enough. We don't have to make everything up, especially in reaction to our needs at that time. Yeah. What a great way or place uh, to leave the conversation, something to explore. <laughs> Jam in an upcoming call about uh, rituals and emotional processing and what yeah what are the examples out there in self-organizing or what are the possibilities that we can um, design or learn from in our cultures that you were saying thank you so much Tomomi for your time thank you Alicia so much and yeah hopefully for a next one sometimes yeah, and thank you whoever is still listening to our podcast I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Tomomi. In the end, we were a bit more abstract than we intended. We ended up saying, ah, you know, if let's say the best piece of advice or practice advice it's not but practice that you can get out of a conversation is oh go and reflect this feels a bit frustrating so yeah we were both also a bit um frustrated about that but also wondering what it means still i don't think that's the most um practical takeaway that there were um that there was in our conversation um and the thing i did want to add to this point about um, reflecting in in the collective and then making sense of things is that um, it's also it feels more abstract because I think that often we're not doing this 
right, that we reflect, but then those reflections do not find their way back into our practices or into how we feel. So maybe there's something there about some feedback loops being properly integrated and so having that these reflections feel more energizing, which I think they often do, but many times yet I'm aware that they don't. Um, then I think a very good takeaway are the rituals as a way of emotional processing. And it's something I'm definitely uh, be having a look at uh, rituals in uh, the organizational context. And yeah, I think this opened, uh, it gave me again openness to have a look at these, uh, what I mentioned, where outlets of emotional expression, and those are described as spaces in which emotions are instrumentalized in organizations. And it's, yes, it's a critique, but I also take it as um, one of the, maybe the, let's say, as you do research or the type of research that I'm doing, you get very used to having a look at the critique side of things. And then it's difficult sometimes to work with what is there. Apart, I think <laughs> constructive, and I want I want to think I'm not always critiquing, but I think that this conversation with Tomomi gave me openness again about that and having a look at what can we learn as well from these organizations that have been around for a very long time and that have certain rituals in place. So yeah, I think that's a very uh, interesting point to really to have a look at. And yeah, and then the Tomomi shared some learnings from the emotions at work. So about doing this reflective work, this peeling onions with a group, it gives you choice because it helps you see a new perspective of having a look at an event or a relationship. Um, then there was something as well about uh, the reminder while you're in peers that you start seeing and experiencing things differently when you deal with emotions and you integrate them more in your daily life in the organizational setting we're talking about now that it's worth it and we know but it's good to be reminded and have a shared sense that it's worth it um, then there was this um, element of coherence between the three elements that she described about the model she's been using i'll uh, link it in the notes so language body and emotions the intersection between those three there needs to be coherence amongst those three areas and then there's something also about how powerful it is the word and also having the difficulty of not being able to describe why and how it is but once you are there in that space you really feel it and that's i think something that makes at least it makes me feel very alive and that's something i just um, love about this um and then another takeaway with it doesn't take a lot she was saying doesn't take a lot to do things differently so it's mainly about changing or understanding something differently and then doing an action uh, differently yeah so that's um that's what it takes and then incorporate a reflection in the end so yes we end up um with reflections here um I would definitely like to engage uh, in the next call with Tomomi and seeing how we can land this in a more practical way. Still, I learned definitely quite a bit in this conversation with her and I hope you 
did that too. See you in the next episode and thank you for watching and listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Effectively. If you did, please leave us a review and subscribe to The How, a podcast by Greater Than.